Harvey, welcome back to State House for another round of backstory with Harvey Kronberg. <laughs> these are these are a lot of fun. Um, you are a uh, historian, uh, and um, I get a lot of comments. People love to listen and, and watch these these episodes because they get not just uh, you know current politics, but there's a there's a history behind a lot of this, and and so so I really appreciate you you being on the, the podcast. So. It's been a lot of fun for me too. So. Yeah, I, I, I love it. This is, this is such, such a great time. Um, I wanted to ask you about, um, about the Capitol and kind of what you see differently. Um, you know, we had the COVID years. We all were kind of absent because of that, you know, for, you know, whether we did it voluntarily or not, you know, some of it was involuntary, but um, I, I wanted to find out from you what you thought was different about the Capitol these days now that we're back post-COVID. The most jarring thing about the Capitol is a lack of access. Remember, this is the people's house. Um, uh, the lack of access and the amount of uh, automatic weapons that are extraordinarily visible both around the Capitol, on the buildings adjacent to the Capitol, and most importantly, inside the Capitol. I joked in a column that I just did that there were more um, more automatic weapons than there were actual elected officials in the building. That might be a little bit of an overstatement, but it's, it, it is jarring. And it's not just armed people with sidearms. It's people literally with automatic weapons with a finger on the adjacent to the trigger yeah. constantly. Um, Long rifles. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, but automatic. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yes. Um, uh, the... Uh, what that communicates to somebody, first of all, the difficulty in getting into the Capitol. Um, there's, you, you, uh, after September 11th, we started having uh, uh, metal detectors that you had to walk through, which made perfect sense. Yeah. You could uh, get a, uh, an exemption for that, um, either by getting a concealed carry permit or getting... And uh, I have to say that one thing that really angers me about COVID mm -hmm. is that I let my concealed carry permit expired. <laughs> expired. Now I have to go through the regular, I don't want to have to go through another 10 hour course, but anyway, go well, ahead. Well, you can actually uh, uh, get approved by the state preservation board by providing a little bit of documentation. But for the average person walking into the building, there's now essentially two entrances instead of four. Now, part of that is because of construction. Um, during COVID, of course, everybody had to be tested before coming in the building. So that established some protocols that re reduced the population. I probably, in, in a typical session, may spend uh, 1,000 or 1,400 hours at the Capitol over the course of five or six months. Uh, during COVID, I probably spent 100 hours. Yeah. Um, didn't want to be there. Um, you could watch it on TV. Everybody was masked. Coming back, I but it's hard to remember what what the capital was like before COVID. Now I don't want to idealize it, but there was a certain electricity, there was a joyousness, there was a collegiality and a level of engagement. People fought like cats and dogs. Mm -hmm. But uh, coming back to find an armed encampment, uh, which is essentially what it has become, is the everything about the capital right now uh, exudes a presumption of impending violence. And maybe that's legitimate after the El Paso Walmart, after Uvalde. Um, I would argue that uh, it's driven more by the excesses of January 6th and the fact that the majority party in Texas is um, obviously Republican. And Republican right now, the among the primary voters, I'm not going to say every Republican, but among primary voters, there's uh, the overwhelming majority would uh, 
define themselves as MAGA, Make America Great Again. And um, the um, the common theme... think that's still true? That the, the majority would be... Yes. Um, I, I, the majority of Republican primary voters. Oh, Republican primary voters. Yes. Okay. I base that on the, my attendance at the state Republican convention last summer. You would think you went to the Democratic convention and they were just a, jubilant and they had a candidate, they thought, which proved not to be true, but uh, they, uh, they, they were excited and aspirational, uh, which is how I used to think of state Republican conventions. This one was just angry and full of rage. And you may recall that uh, our senior senator, John Cornyn, was booed, gave a 30-minute speech, was booed for t- consistently for 25 of those 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. The uh, governor uh, elected, you know, he's the leader of the party. He's the guy who's built the organization, frankly, that uh, for which uh, he gets a lot of credit for Republican success for the organization and, and fundraising. But he was, I'm going to use the word advisedly, but he was scared to come in the building. It was, um, it was defiant. It was, um, there were no young, it was a very small coterie of young people. And the, the the currency of the Republican Party right now is defined by rage. Uh, Fox News, Tucker Carlson, whatever I call it, a fact-free environment. Now, MSNBC has some similar problems. Don't yeah. get me wrong, yeah. oh. <laughs> but they're less less about inciting and um, and too much of the Republican rhetoric is anger about the border. It's anger about federal intrusion. It's anger about uh, abortion. It's uh, where uh, the governor is going around the state right now uh, holding events at private schools, essentially trash-talking public schools. And uh, the Republicans have discovered parental empowerment um, is a potentially winning issue. But the flip side of that is that people on school boards are being physically threatened, threatened with violence. Teachers, uh, we have a bill that's going through right now. If you don't do the right curriculum and for a 20-year-old teacher, a 20 someone who has taught for 20 years successfully and is a good teacher, that they have to follow this box-by-box type of thing. Uh, What's interesting about this is that uh, uh, parents can file a complaint in this bill. Parents can file complaints against teachers, um, and it's considered an affirmative defense that you taught just inside the lines of this, this box. They call it fidelity in this bill. Um, it's carried by a major, um, uh, well, the chairman of the House Education Committee, so I would suspect that it's going to have some legs. Yeah. But it uh, suddenly teachers and uh, school board members are targets of implicit violence. Um, and so the rhetoric is so shrill on both sides, but more so on the right right now. And January 6th is the paradigm or the metaphor for an, uh, inciting an outraged mob whether it's insurrection or not, I, I could care less. It was a riot. Um, um, and there, there was a certain level of coordination that was involved with it. And I can't help but think that they are less worried about um, uh, the random kid who uh, drives 14 hours, pick, goes and picks up uh, some weapons, and then goes to a Walmart or a school and starts shooting than they are the fact that that all this rage converges inside the Capitol. And if you were to look at the lieutenant governor's um, uh, list of priorities, most of these are culture war issues. Uh, transgender is probably the most defenseless. And I'm not going to get into the you know the arguments for and against um, uh, modification. Yeah. But you know it's a defenseless population. It's a tiny population, and yet there is so much venom 
that it is being directed towards them um, uh, from the re Republican side. Um, um, Asians um, uh, are – well, the Anti-Defamation League has uh, talked about the uh, – quantified the massive spike in violence against Jews. Now they're in, beginning to track uh, violence against Asians, which is also spiking. And um, this is, uh, I believe, a, a direct outcome from the, the nature of the rhetoric and the drumbeat of the rhetoric and, uh, and the fact that we actually uh, saw this play out in, um, in uh, D.C. on January 6th. Um, that is the only rationalization I can have for, you know, people with machine guns on all the buildings around the Capitol complex, uh, uh, dogs inside buildings that are even locked down. Um, and then on top of that, um, the um, there's a certain contempt that is communicated, whether intentional or not. The Senate, for instance, uh, no longer allows press on the floor, which I think actually um, uh, undermines their ability to get their story out. But again, they only care about the seven, the 1.4 million Republican primary voters who are angry. <laughs> so. Um, it, it's a self-reinforced this this anger this rage is a self-reinforcing loop that's going on. It seems like um, I mean there's there's always it's always chicken and egg. Mm -hmm. So where does that anger come from? And I'm not by any means um, you know in, endorsing or saying it's okay for anything that happened on January sixth. Um, but um, I look at things kind of simply, and 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 and, I, and I'll tell you why uh, and how I go about looking at these issues, and how I, I guess how I process them, is so I'm a, a single dad raising two boys, um, and I've got two elderly parents, and I've got a small business that I run. That's that's the little bubble that I live in, and so anything that I, any issues like this, this, um, all this, you know, the, 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 what you're talking about, the rage, um, you know, I guess I look at it as, uh, an issue that's not just been a predominantly Republican issue. Now, maybe I look at things differently, but, you know, I think about all of the riots that occurred back during the, the Black Lives Matter and all the cops that were, that were shot and killed and, and the ambushes and the burning of buildings and the smash and grabs that are going on and the just the senseless chaos that goes on mm -hmm. in predominantly Democrat-run cities, Chicago, Los Angeles, New York. Um, yeah, we did have a little bit of, uh, um, you know, some, uh, you know, some people doing uh, – Donuts here in, in in Austin, but that's really kind of a it, it's a one off, you know. Yeah. It, it's like probably won't happen again. Right. I mean, but but the but the but the real violence and all that kind of stuff that was occurring, you know, the defund the police. I mean, there's so many things that happened over the last three, four years, you know, five years, and um, and when you don't see anything being done by it about it, uh, kind of like we the border, same mm -hmm. thing. It does. It does raise the rage in you about okay. Well, if you're not going to do something about it, then I will, because I'm going to protect my bubble, mm -hmm. and I'll do whatever I have to do to protect my bubble. You know, as you should, right? I mean, if I need to arm myself, which you know, I grew up with hunting and with guns and all that, so I'm 
I'm well armed, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm also, you know, we teach safety and we do it all the right way. Right. But, um, you know, but then you also have, you know, on both sides, I, this is kind of what I've told my, my boys about this whole issue about why things seem to be chaotic and who's at fault. And, um, and not trying to put ideas in their head, but I, but I told them, I said, you know, there's people on the far left and there's people on the far right. And honestly, I think they're the same people. <laughs> and there's a people in the middle, us, that don't get any attention because we're not loud. We don't go busting out windows. We don't go, uh, you know, shooting at cops. We respect, you know, our, our law enforcement. You know, we're patriotic. We're family people. That can apply to everybody, right? This, mm-hmm. is, not, this is not Republican or Democrat. Right. And um, it's very frustrating that you can't, as the as the as the people in the middle, make more impact. Because I guess you tend to, I don't know, I, I won't speculate as to why, but, you know, so I, I I see that happening, and I think, you know, of course what happened at the Capitol on January 6th was awful, you know, busting out windows. And I mean, that's just that's stupid. Um, but then you also have everything else that happened before that. So where do, where do, where's the chicken and the egg? What, what came first? Well, I, I, I think first of all, we're talking about generic rage and I'm, I agree completely that, uh, uh, black lives matter, although it was mischaracterized as Antifa, it was legitimate expression of, or it was illegitimate expression of rage. Uh, there's no excuse for arson or attacking police cars, et cetera, but it was episodic and, um, uh, the kind of rage I'm talking about seems to me to be more thematic. It, it burned itself out somewhat after the George Floyd episode, and um, uh, it, it had a short duration. But I doesn't feel like the the general rage out there has subsided, and the ones feeding the fire the most seem to be on the right. The definition of politics is nonviolent dispute resolution. And I'm going to give away my age here and actually quote Marshall McLuhan, who said, the medium is the message. When you walk in that building right now, there is nothing in there that supports the concept of nonviolent dispute resolution. It's, it's the people's house. When we're in a legislative session, usually you've got lots of tours going through there. Uh, you've got uh, Harris County Day, Orange yeah. County Day. Yeah. I mean, all these, these things, and they are, they are happening but the the medium is the message, and the medium is armed presence everywhere. Mm. And I am not sure how much additional security we buy for having a trooper with a machine gun um, every 60 feet. Uh, what that communicates is that the system, to me, is that the system is broken. Now, I will also add that um, uh, it goes a little further than even that. We're the, Texas is the seventh, eighth largest economy in the world if it was considered a country. Austin's the 11th largest. We are a country, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a couple of bills to propose that, actually. <laughs> I'm not sure they'll send your Social Security checks if you secede, or you'll be able to get Medicare if you secede, but um, aside from that. Aside from that. Yes, but uh, the um, this translates not just... Uh, it, the, the Again, the medium is the message. One of the jarring things, and this may seem trivial after talking about guns every 30 feet and and uh, invoking the images of January 6th and all the rest of it. But we're the uh, seventh largest economy, the 11th largest state uh, city in the uh, country. Uh, we just had South by Southwest here in Austin. Uh, we're going to have um, 
uh, ACL, mm. uh, Austin City Limits, a big festival, uh, F1. These are all massive celebratory events that take place with security, but not oppressive security. And what you, the message that you get when you walk into the Capitol is this is a dangerous place. And it's also an unwelcoming place, which also bothers me. And the metaphor, it's just a metaphor, but the metaphor for that is you go down to the Capitol Grill, which is the the um, uh, cafeteria in the basement. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they've had some, in post-COVID, the vendors, the, the purveyors were unable to generate enough cash flow. They had to withdraw or go bankrupt or whatever it was. And whoever replaced them is just doing the bare minimum. So once upon a time, you had full shelves full of salads and yeah. sandwiches. Well, not and, bad. Yeah. And yeah, it was a, a co- and it was it was a gathering place not just for the tourists, but for the staff, for the lobby, and for uh, even occasionally you would see a member down in there. A lot of business got done in that place. It's that's all gone right now. The um, people. Um, it it it's understaffed, uh, insufficient. Um, food choices, drink choices, and um, it's just not, you know, Texas is open for business and Texas friendly don't seem to apply in the capital. Uh, Again, we're talking about the context and whether it's rage on the left or the right, I guess they can be just as fearful of an outbreak of uh, black or uh, pro-choice violence. But, uh, But the narrative of rage is generally speaking, uh, been was first normalized under President Trump and is being continued. When when um, uh, Governor DeSantis says uh, Florida is where woke comes to die, well, that's in normal times I'd call that standard political rhetoric. But now you've got people who are taking instruction from political rhetoric, and I'm not sure. I have no idea what woke means. I said that in a previous episode. But uh, saying that uh, Florida comes is where woke comes to die is almost an invitation to go out and act against woke, whatever that is. And it's highly inflammatory rhetoric and only feeds the rage. It, it, it baffles me that the governor is going around uh, essentially raising the heat level on teachers. And after Uvalde, he's raising it on, on school boards, teachers, and public schools because he's promoting this idea of vouchers. So yeah, that's the rage is the theme, and the manifestation or the the day to day expression is more more weapons than you can imagine being visible in the Capitol. You know, I uh, you know I do think that there is a lot of just general rage uh, on both sides, um, and it's hard to get away from it, uh, no matter what your what, what issue you're dealing with or or who you're talking to. Um, it used to be back in the, back in the, I'll age myself too, back in the day, <laughs> I remember you used to, I mean, this goes way back, you used to be able to drive up to the front of the Capitol and drop off beer for signing die. You know, that doesn't happen anymore. I mean, we don't even have signing die parties anymore, frankly. And not like we used to, you know, with having people, you know, having chair races in the, in the Capitol. <laughs> but, um. Uh, maybe they do. <laughs> Dollies of hard liquor being wheeled yeah, across the pretty gallery normal. in the Senate. Yes. And and I agree. Um, you know, and I don't I don't I don't think it's being old fashioned to uh, you know, to think about those times when it was fun and enjoyable to go and talk about, you know, talk to members. And I did, you know, I've been doing this a long time and and I've also done this in over probably twenty five states. You know, I've lobbied all over the country. 
And, and, and I've always found that although there's different kind of personalities and different cultures, you know, you go to Louisiana or you go to New Mexico or you go to Montana or, you know, Chicago, any of those, I mean, you're going to find a different personality of the legislature, but there's going to be Republicans and Democrats. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And I always, I was always able to get, you know, both sides to agree to things. I mean, I felt like that was something I always felt like I needed to achieve in order to be successful. And I was able to do that for a long, long time and felt like that was, that was kind of my calling to, to, to do my business. I didn't pick a side. Uh, regardless of how I felt, I didn't pick a side. I just wanted to be successful. And I remember when it started to get to the point where, whether, you know, you had to be on one side or the other. Mm. I mean, bills didn't pass if, you know, depending on who was in power, you know, bills did not pass if it had, you know, the wrong party on it. And I think that, that was the beginning of the sort of quote end to where we are today, mm-hmm. which is absolute anger and rage against each other on any issue. You can't even have a discourse like you and I are having. Right. That doesn't exist. You know? Well, um, remember that the Texas legislature only meets for 140 out of every 720 days. And uh, we really typically don't have much time. The um, uh, The first 60 days, you can't really do anything. You're constitutionally prohibited right. from doing anything. Uh, state affairs, which is the heavy lift, one of the heavy lifting committees in both the House and the Senate, but in the House side, just had its first substantive hearing uh, this last week. Yeah. Uh, they're going to have four more hearings, and they've got six hundred, four to six hundred bills in right. front of them. We're ready in March. Yeah, and um, so there has to be some prioritization, and uh, the fact that it's only um, uh, uh, hundred and forty out of every seven hundred twenty days means we've got to get our business done, and. All the impulses in Texas, except for the political primaries, have called have always been about consensus. Have pushed you towards consensus. Mm-hmm. West Texas Republicans have more in common with South Texas Democrats than they do with uh, Republicans from Montgomery County. Uh, they, they, you know, the school's the epicenter of their community. They're worried about whether the hospital's going to close or not, and so it was easier to make common cause between West Texas Republicans and and South Texas Democrats on non-ideological, pragmatic issues. And so there was that impulse was always driving us back towards some kind of collaboration. Now we've got a uh, situation where the lieutenant, according to multiple reliable lobbyists, uh, uh, maybe that's... Wait, a, is that, I was going to say... Is that, that an oxymoron? <laughs> yes. But uh, the lieutenant governor said no substantive or major bill is going to that comes over from the House with a Democratic author is going to uh, succeed in the Senate. And I've heard that over and over again. I'll, I'll just simply say it's secondhand information, but it's totally consistent with what we know about the Senate right now. So um, uh, uh, there are efforts to to raise the temperature. I mean, that, that raises the temperature rather than lowers the temperature. Yeah. You would have to be an insider to know that. Walking through the hall with guns and dogs and... This is a dangerous place. This isn't a place for reconciliation. This isn't a place for collaboration, and um, and uh, it's uh, and of course we're about to go uh, spin off into culture war issues over at the Capitol. So um, yeah, we're just starting. Yes, this hasn't actually bubbled over yet. The the rage so far is implicit, but it's going to and and the Democratic rage at some of the things the Republicans are going to try and do. 
um, is, I don't know if it translates quite the same way, but the rage is, is, um, uh, serious and, uh, uh, rage is not productive to nonviolent dispute resolution. You know, I saw, um, I saw a, uh, I think it was a press conference the other day and it was pretty striking. Uh, I mean, if you, if you, if you listened to it or you read the transcript of it and it was, uh, the chairman of the, the House Democratic Caucus. Mm-hmm. And if you just if you just read through it, the normal everyday person who reads, you know, political news or whatever, and and it it, it just sounded like um, you know, political talk. But as as people that are insiders and you read it, it it's it's a, it sounded very threatening. Mm-hmm. It sounded very threatening. And um it, it just sounded like, okay, if you're going to put your stake down, then we're bringing all of our, you know, mm-hmm. we're bringing our bats. You bring your bats, you know, yeah. and we're we're going to go at it. And I, you know, that's, uh, you know, and that's kind of like what I expect, you know, April to be is basically gang warfare mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on the uh, in the Capitol. And I and I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, if you walk through the Capitol, if you're just if you're a citizen and you're just trying to come see your state capital. It isn't, you know, it isn't like the the majesty of the state capitol and where you go in there and it, it it's you know it, it's it is it's, for for them it's scary and you know, we go in there all the time and it, it you know you get used to it but the average citizen goes in there and they see armed you know DPS officers um, yeah that's that's a, and limited access to the building and um, yeah. um, this should be making a statement that Texas is open for business and it communicates anything but. Texas being opening for open for business. Texas is a dangerous place. Yeah, and um, and I again I I will leave it to wiser minds than I, than mine on uh, on security issues, but it seems to me that it's a level of gratuitousness. Not a it's it's uh, and God forbid one of those guns should ever accidentally go off. Um, I, that raises a whole other issue, which I'm going to explore frankly about the training these troopers have had, um, their, the crisis training they've had. But uh, somebody pointed out if you just had an accidental spray, the debris from hitting the columns and the granite walls could injure as many people as um, as weapons could. Yeah. And um, well, we, I got to believe though that uh, on at least the troopers. Um, I mean, if you had anybody else in there that was handling those kind of weapons, I, I think I would be worried. I, I feel. I feel that they they get the same kind of training that our military gets. I mean, these these. I hope these, so. And I and I think they do, and I think they get the kind of training that they're very very careful about. They, I mean, it's it's almost it's in their minds that they it's they can only handle the weapon a certain way. It's never on fire. It's never going to go off um, by accident. Um, I just I guess I don't I don't see that only because you know I see them kind of like if if it was a you know uh, you know a soldier standing mm-hmm. there. Uh, having the, they would have the same training. I, I believe that, you know, and I know a lot of these guys and I, and I, and I know the kind of stuff, you, you know them too. And, yeah. um, I mean, I could see why you, why someone would question it because there is a lot of weapons, but, um, yeah, I, I, I sort of have an intrinsic trust of, of DPS and, and, you know, again, every, every organization has, you know, outliers. Sure. And I, I admit to that on every occasion, 
including lobbyists. <laughs> maybe maybe not so many. Maybe it's more of the majority, not the outliers. But anyway, I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, I feel I feel like those guys have the kind of training they need, and I wouldn't I wouldn't expect something like that to happen. I and, certainly wouldn't I, expect it. Um, but uh, random incidents happen, and somebody walks in and looks threatening, and everybody goes on red alert. The bottom line is I certainly don't expect it, and I have a lot of confidence, in. but I'm not sure what their crisis training has been. Uh, we found out deficiencies in crisis training in Uvalde, of course. Um, and uh, again, I, what is the message they're trying to send by every 30 or 40 feet having somebody with an automatic weapon? Yeah, I, I feel like you could accomplish the same thing with the same number of troopers with sidearms. Um, it's the, it's the automatic weapons in the age of, of mass shootings that, that seem to maybe alarm. alarm. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think one of the things, um, and again, I, I don't have all of the insights into everything that happened in Uvalde, but it seems to me what happened in Uvalde and I don't, you know, I don't want to get into that argument no. because, <laughs> but I, it seems like there was a total, each individual group that was there, whether they were the sheriff or the, 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 the city police or they were the the the, the, uh, the ISD police or they were the troopers or they were the border patrol um, that were there, the special unit that was there, they all had their own individual training, but no, there wasn't any way of communicating amongst all of those groups who was in charge. Right. There right? was a total breakdown total of, chain, breakdown of, command, of chain of command. And I don't expect that to be the case inside the Capitol. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 they're, and so that that's... Um, yeah, that that was that, that is uh, that is problematic. I, I guess the the um, the issue of safety inside of the Capitol, if something were to happen, let's say, God forbid, mm-hmm. something happened, and there were only two, you know, troopers, one at the east end, one at the west end, mm-hmm. and something happened in the middle, and and. And that someone went into some of those offices, you would have the biggest uproar. Of course. Of why didn't you cover the entire area? They're all legislators, you know. They're all susceptible to anybody that's 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 harboring ill will towards a legislator. You know, I, that we started this podcast. You know, one of the the lines we use is politics is a contact sport. And it used to be kind of a thing. We used to say that because it was just tough, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. you, you you duke it out, you duke it out during the elections. It's actually it becoming like a realistic thing where it is a contact sport. I mean, then it shouldn't be. Well, but that's what I worry about. I worry. I think in the minds of the people securing the Capitol, they worry about well, what if something were to occur between where you didn't have coverage. Right. Of course, you know, you would get blamed for not having enough coverage, right? Well, you've got to go through metal, metal detectors. There's only, in the best of times, four access points to get into the building. With a concealed carry permit, you can bring a weapon in, um, yeah. Yeah. theoretically. Well, definitely, yeah, there's people carrying and that are licensed inside the building. Right. But, um uh, but um, in the days of – we've now passed permitless carry, which means pretty much anybody can get a gun pretty much any time. We're having an argument about whether the – Or carry a gun. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, you've got people, uh, office staff with open sidearms uh, inside the building. And so 
You're right. The, uh, it, it, it kind of reminds me about uh, after September 11th, um, when uh, Vice President Cheney was the only one with any foreign policy or war experience, and uh, uh, President Bush and all of our friends that went to D.C. with with President Bush, yeah. um, uh, Cheney uh, uh, created the mantra of, if there's a 1% possibility of weapons of mass destruction, we have to treat it as 100% probability. And um, it's a similar kind of mentality, but it led to a number of really bad judgment calls along the way in terms of the war in Iraq and ended up uh, essentially side derailing the president's policies or the president's agendas. And um, when you communicate, it may just be me, and it may just be because I've spent 30 years inside that building, and it's always been confrontational, argumentative, yeah. uh, but um, ultimately congenial, and um, and um, uh, the, the real anger angers are just episodic, and this one feels like there's a long like more theme, to you. thematic narrative going on here that is ultimately disturbing for uh, you know the economy that should be as vibrant as, as this that is as vibrant as this one is. So. Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, and, and I and I and, and I and I understand that. You know, you're, I I think there was a time. I mean, uh, politics has always been mean, nasty, you know, confrontational, ugly. I mean, all of that all that was always true, mm-hmm. but it never did turn into anything more than you know. You just got frustrated and you just worked it out. Oh, and there might be an occasional shoving match there, on the every house once floor. in a while, and I actually saw one of those on the floor. <laughs> But that was rare, pretty rare. Yes, uh, per, very rare, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I do. I, I do wish for for those days, and um, and I think now that we're kind of where we are uh, now, I think that uh, nobody wants, nobody seems to tone down the rhetoric. It's just sort of if it comes, rhetoric goes up on this end, then it goes up on this end. It just keeps going, mm-hmm. and um, and 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 the worst part about it for people who really care about what goes on at the Capitol, uh, you know, particularly, uh, really, this really more applies to Congress, but nothing gets done in, in Congress, nothing, nothing of substance that we really care about. Now, stuff is happening, you know, there are, there's legislation passing, bills are happening in tech, in Texas and other states, you know, there, there's, there's action going on, but it, it's, it heavily leans towards the, the, the ruling party. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's the way it is. Um, I mean, it's always been pretty much that way, but you always had, did have those, those compromise bills. Um, but, uh, but there is something, I agree. There is something more, um, uh, unnerving. Now, I haven't been to D.C., frankly, or any inside any of the congressional buildings since COVID no, in D.C. I, I haven't either. No. So I don't know if maybe this is the standard norm around the country, but um, yeah. it was the most, to me, it's still really compelling. And you add to that the fact that uh, it's not just journalists. Uh, it, once upon a time, the doors would be open to the House and Senate chamber when they were not in session and and just individual tourists could walk in. Now they're in lockdown. There, now there's cameras everywhere, and there is a central command and control, DPS central command and control office that's coordinating everything inside the Capitol. So once again, I come back to what are we communicating by having this armed encampment when we should have the same number of troopers? I have no issue with that. And, and frankly, I have no issue with guns. I just, the the message that yeah. that is communicated with 
it feels like a third world country in there yeah. um, and um, not not a, uh, a home of an economic powerhouse. And it may be that um, I'm, I am overreacting, but um, I, it's one of those things where never, you feel like we're never going to go back and we've lost something of consequence as a result. Yeah, well, I hope not. I mean, I, I think if I was an elected official, and, and God forbid I would ever be an elected <laughs> official, I don't know why they do it, but actually, I, I, just a very quick story on that. So when I was <laughs> when I graduated from law school, my wife and I were both in law school together. My late wife Leah and I wanted to. Uh, I was I was with a, a law firm at the time, and I wanted to get into politics. I wanted to run. I mean, I was ready, and she had already been working for years with, um, you know, back in the day, Ray Farabee, and and she was with uh, um, Speaker Lewis and worked in his office. And, We're talking about the eighties and um, yeah. uh, early nineties. So she, she'd had a long history already, and and very political family, and she told me, um, "You you can run for office, but before you do, you have to you need to work." and see what you're getting into. And I thought, come on, you know, so, um, but she held my feet to the fire on that. So we moved to Austin. We were in San Antonio. Uh, that's where we were going to school, law law school, St. Mary's. And, uh, we moved to Austin. She went to go and work for, uh, Senator Frank Tejeda, who's old, old friend of our families and just a, you know, great guy. God bless his soul. Um, um, and then, um, I worked for a a uh, state representative from San Antonio, Christine Hernandez, and it didn't take me long. I was with her for a session before I got recruited away by the Texas Medical Association um, that I realized I don't ever want to run for office. <laughs> and to this day, I've not had any uh, inkling about running for office, although I will say that, that the job that, that I've had and that we, you and I do at the Capitol is easy, but it's uh, I don't think I'd want to put myself, as they say in law school, voluntarily mount the rostrum. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is the way they put it. But uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I do wish for those for those days. But if I were an elected official, I think I would make the same decision. Mm-hmm. I really do because I I would want to I would want to sort of uh, flood the zone again to use the same term uh, with as much security as possible so that there is just no chance that something terrible could happen to uh, anybody in the Capitol or a legislator or staff anybody um, because if it did. Uh, yeah, you'd they'd be held to pay. You'd be no, held to pay. No yeah. question about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's. Um, I guess for me, it's the presence of all the automatic weapons. Not the pre- the deterrent is not the the machine guns. It's the uh, the number of troopers. Yeah, that really is the deterrent. Um, uh, the horsepower they bring to it is actually, I think, raises the element of danger. But that, be that as it may, it's. Uh, uh, the, uh, the the if they were to find themselves in some kind of encounter, um, God forbid, uh, the likelihood of uh, collateral damage because of machine guns is probably higher than it would be with sidearms and oh, it would be an awful event, yeah, for sure, yeah, um, and collateral damage. Anyway, that, that that's essentially what. But it comes back to the it's a manifestation of this this um, uh, reaction to rage. Um, and and uh, the, our inability to come to political consensus or resolution, particularly on cultural issues. Well, we're going to 
run into this pretty quick here in the next uh, less than 30 days. And I think uh, probably what would be good is you and I to maybe revisit this sure. in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a few weeks and uh, see where we are from from what from what we're talking about now. I mean, right now things are just sort of simmering, and um, hmm. there's definitely you know anger out there, but it's all you know, it's uh, somewhat innocuous. It hasn't hit that level that we always get to right before we get to those deadlines that yes. start hitting. So I I think um, and it's it's not assisted. Uh, let's just say it's exacerbated because I'm always fond of saying we do most of our work in the last forty days. Pretty much when we're sleep deprived, <laughs> over caffeinated, dehydrated, and living on that health food product, queso and vodka. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> on that note, on that, on that very good This is note, a very serious business. Well, oh, you just made me hungry. So, no, I, I, so um, again, Harvey, thanks. This is great. Um, I do want to revisit, you know, when things start to boil over. Um, I think it'd be a great time to, to come back to these uh, this subject again and talk I, about it. I feel like Scotty in Star Trek. It's going to blow, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely is going to blow. Uh, thanks so much, Harvey. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of the State House Podcast. Today's show is made possible through a generous donation from my friends at Air Wellness. Air Wellness is one of the most innovative and fastest growing vertically integrated U.S. multi-state cannabis operators. The company's mission is to drive positive impact for their patients, their customers, their employees, and the communities they serve. For more information, please visit airwellness.com. That's A-Y-R wellness.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. In addition, consider subscribing on Apple and Spotify, where you can leave us a five-star review. If you're not already following us on social media, you can find those links below in the show notes. As always, thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next time.